So, I think I'm now, it's the sermon. Yeah, it's me again. So, it's Pentecost morning. Now, I introduced celebrating the feasts throughout the year of the Old Testament. And this is one of them. The reasons for that are because Christianity is more than just a moment where you just give your life to Christ and then nothing ever happens again. Christianity is a walk with God and in the community of church. And so my dream for church is that there's something on always for somebody. And the meals are great because we touch base with each other because it's so easy if you're like me to slip back into unhealthy living, evil patterns of life and bad habits. So to come to meals or remember these feasts throughout the year or quiz nights or meetings during the week, it's because church is a place of safety. And when you're eating food with someone, it can lead to, hi, how are you? What are you going through? And then it can lead to, how can I pray for you? So not only do these events keep us from being individuals and getting into bad habits, it keeps our life together, praying for each other, looking to each other and caring and sharing. And so these weekends are really important. So thank you for coming this morning and tuning in at home. And we're at Pentecost, where the Spirit of God fell so powerfully, it expanded all the way to King Coid in Cardiff from Acts chapter 2. And that's the reality. And there's loads of similarities between the Leviticus Pentecost party and the Acts chapter 2 Pentecost party. And I'm just going to race through the similarities, but then we're going to stop on something very different in Acts chapter 2 Pentecost feast compared to the Leviticus 23. So, here's a whistle-stop tour on what the ancient church did exactly the same as we do. But then we're going to do something different to what they did. And that's where I want us to land. And that we go home changed. Right. What do they do first? The same as us. Loads. They had sacrifices. And we just read that in verse 19. And the sacrifices were all pointing to the person they were trusting in coming one day to be their ultimate sacrifice for sin. So often Flossie the lamb got it in the neck. I'm sorry, but that's because one day Jesus got it in the neck. Because there has to be justice and penalties paid for sin. And that's written into all of us this morning. Are you carrying your own sin this morning? Trying to deal with it? The Bible says we're to turn from it and give it to Jesus. Because He's paid the punishment for sin. So God doesn't want any of us walking around under the burden of unforgiven sin and guilt. And we all know there needs to be justice. It's written into all of you. If you went outside there and someone's keyed your car, you'll think this to yourself, oh, I hope there's a day of justice. Let me catch them. Or if someone on the news gets you sad and you say, I hope they're going to be brought to account. I hope they don't get away with it. It's written into all of us. Because we're made in the image of a God where justice matters. The problem is, we don't get away with it either. What we've done to God and others. And so, either we have to pay for it one day, or Jesus pays for it one day. And in the ancient church, they showed that Jesus is going to pay for it. So they sacrificed an animal, and through its death, they could carry on living. Because then they ate the animal, and they took it into their stomachs and carried on living. 
It's a wonderful picture of Jesus. And uh, that's the first thing. They had sacrifices, and we do too. So at home, do you need a sacrifice for sin? It's Jesus. All your burdens can roll off this morning. There is a lamb provided for you. The second thing in the Whistle Stop Tour is that they got excited about the world to come. Now, I don't know if you've got bad backs or arthritis or gout or something's going wrong with you in some way, form or another. What do we do as Christians? We get excited about the world to come because all that stuff is finishing, finally dealt with. And they showed that by, in verse 17, they put yeast in their bread. And that's amazing. That's why we had yeast in our Domino's pizza on Friday. Because yeast in the Bible was a symbol of people being able to just chill for a minute. (sighs) I can make the nice bread now because I'm at home. And they used to get to the heavenly land, which was Israel. It was a picture of the world to come. It was like a multimedia display of the world to come. And they'd all just put yeast in their bread and eat nice bread. Very different from the last feast where God said, right, there's a Passover coming. You cannot put yeast in your bread. There's no time. You've got to go. You're on the way to heaven. Leg it. There's no yeast in the Passover. That's why we had flat bread at the Passover feast that we did. But now they're like, ah, this is going to be great. When what we're doing, the reality of it comes, it's going to be the best. Let's just chill for a while here. I'm home. And that's why Jesus would say, come to me and I'll give you ah, rest. There you go. And uh, there in the land, they learned to live the holy life. Uh, Incidentally, uh, the Ten Commandments were given at the Feast of Pentecost at Sinai. When you get to the land, live the way I want you to. And um, we do that here today. Now, since the Acts chapter 2 Pentecost feast, where the church expanded beyond Israel, all the way to King Coed, uh, we can now still say, come to Jesus for rest There's a world coming. You're going to love it. There's no sin and death and decay. And really, on this roundabout here, church is the only safe place with eternal rest. And the only place with a safe destination of rest. And that's why we want to look after each other to be as holy as we can to show what that world is going to be like. Because there's no sin there. You know, we say to people, come as you are. And that's right, come to Jesus with all your sin and your failings. But He doesn't want to leave you as you are. He wants to make you holy, to get you ready for the holy world to come. And that's what they did there. They, got, they tried to live the holy life. And we do that here. So there was that. And then, the other thing they did that we do in the Whistle Stop Tour, is in this feast, they were, they were reminded that they were led out of bondage and sin and slavery and Jesus led them he was the angel of the Lord that took them out and today we say Jesus leads us out of sin and bondage and death and addictions and slavery and he's the answer listen to this cheeky little verse in Judges 2 the angel of the Lord came up to the church and said I brought you out of Egypt to the land that I swore to give you I will never break my promise with you. That's the angel of the Lord title that Jesus would later say was his. And um, yeah, so that's that. Uh, Come to Jesus and he'll lead you all the way to the heavenly land. And we sometimes sing 
Fanny Crosby's great hymn, All the Way My Savior Leads Me. And they used to do that in the Moses Church. What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt His tender mercy who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in Him to dwell. For I know whate'er before me, Jesus doeth all things well. And we remember that this morning. And we say thank you, Jesus. And then the last similarity is... They looked after poor people and needy people among themselves. Listen to this. When you reap to the harvest of your land at Pentecost, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners. I am the Lord your God. And listen to this one in Acts chapter 2. I've got about 10 Bibles here this morning, all open in different places. Um, Listen to this. When the Spirit came in power at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament, what did they do? Uh, Here's verse 44. All the believers were together and have everything in common. Selling their possessions and good, they gave to anyone who had need. Because the church always gives to people in need. They start with their own little church family and then they look out. How else can we help the area around here? Because we're exactly the same as a church in Moses' time, that's what Pentecost was about. By the way, do you have a need? Welcome to church. Let somebody know. We're in the business of trying to help you. Welcome. Any need, let us know. Spirit-filled churches do that. This is a Pentecostal church. But we're not stopping there. That was the whistle-stop tour. So welcome back. I want something else in our head and our hearts as we go home today. And here's something different. Though it pains me to say it because I love the Moses Church, we do do something different. In the Old Testament, in the ancient church, and it does matter, so try and stay with me for this bit, to get new Christians or Messiah people or Israelites, as they were called back then, people trusting in the Lord, converts, you might want to call them, the way they did it were, people came to them. They sort of hung around in Jerusalem and in other places, but mainly in Jerusalem. And the message was, the pagans would look and then they'd it'd be like, come to us. God lives in this church here and there's a priest who's acting out the role of Jesus. Come and join us. Have your life changed. Join the culture. Join the hope. Join the vision. Everybody there. Okay? Um... Go to Jerusalem, connect with the priests. But, however, however, even then there were exceptions. And since this is a quiz weekend, here's a quiz question. They didn't always just say come. There was one major person that went out, even in the Old Testament. Here's the quiz question. Who was really the first major preacher to the pagans and Gentiles outside. Anyone want to shout out an answer? Anyone, anything strike you? Just to prove the point, they weren't always saying just come. The, the go out thing was there as well. I mean, it's not even really part of the sermon. It's just a fairly interesting anecdote. If you're ever in a quiz and it comes up. The answer is, well, I'll read out Jonah chapter 1 verse 1, shall I? The word of, who thought Jonah? Put your hands up. One, Sue. Well done, Sue at the back. The word of the Lord came to Jonah and said, Go to the great city of and preach against it because the wickedness has come up. And Jonah says, No. 
because that's what we do. And that's the story of Jonah. But anyway, he has to go to Mosul in Iraq. And it was as scary then as it is now for a Christian. And he lived in Garth Heifer, which is basically like um, Rudgery. And he had to go to basically the center of pretty much London. No Christians there because God wanted to save them. And within 40 days, 120,000 people became what I call Christians. And I think even the animals, but that's a different sermon. We won't do the animals today. But So it did happen. Um, but the main thing was come to Jerusalem. Okay? But now, since Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, we don't go to Jerusalem, do we? Something very different has happened. The Spirit and the church explode on an international level. I've done lots of teaching on the Thursday class where I don't think the Spirit was coming for the first time. And I don't think it is the birth of the church because I think Moses was always telling people to have spiritual hearts. And I think they were the church. And when Jesus is talking to His disciples in John chapter 14 and 16, He says, you already know the Spirit, but He's going to come again for a special mission. And the special mission was, you're going to need power because something big's going to happen. Out we go. And there's this great commission. Go to all nations. And some things happen with church. The whole world starts to hear about the message of the gospel. Also, all nations start to hear. Also, they don't even have to do church in Hebrew or Greek anymore. Ladies and gentlemen, what language am I speaking? Hey, it's English, not a trick question. English, because in Acts chapter 2, um, language barriers of church were broken down at this feast of Pentecost. Food barriers were now broken down because little changes of the work of Jesus start happening in Acts chapter 2 and the mystery that people like us are going to be brought into the family of Abraham starts to happen. And here's where it gets extra cool, if, well, I think it is. In Leviticus 23, uh, Deuteronomy, Pentecost was harvest time, okay? And, but Passover was the first fruits party, and then there would come the full harvest party. And Jesus, it is relevant, stay with me, taught my death and resurrection, he says, is like a seed and when it goes into the ground, it's going to produce like a crop of many more hopeful seeds and harvest. And in Genesis chapter 1, the third day is called the day of seeds. What day did Jesus rise from the dead? The third day, the day of seeds. And when I visit dying people now, like how do I guarantee that they will be safe in heaven. How can someone like me guarantee that? Because Jesus did it first. He battered death to death. And He rose again on the third day. And so this little seed in the hospital bed can trust in that first fruit. 
Because He's done it. And this little seed is going to be the full harvest of what Jesus has accomplished. And that's why Acts 2.41 says this. Here's the harvest at the Pentecost feast. The full harvest. Guaranteed from the first crop from the dead. Jesus. Here comes the full harvest. Are you ready? Those who accepted the message on this day were baptized and 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 random outsiders saved and added to the family of God the full harvest. Acts chapter 2 verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in their other tongues as the Spirit enabled. English, though it... I don't think it was around then, but the equivalent of English. And the crowd heard it and they bewildered because they understood it in their own language. Jesus is alive. They're like, wait, I heard that in English? I heard that in my language? Wow. What are you having for lunch? <laughs> it's not a trick question. What are you having for lunch? Christians could now go home and eat whatever they like. Because you don't have to f- f- uh, follow the Jewish laws. You can even have a bacon sandwich since Acts chapter 2 and do it to the glory of God. You can come to a church that speaks English or Welsh because language barriers were broken down because of the Feast of Harvest. You're like, what's God ever done for me? Well, if you're a Christian today in Cardiff, it's because the power of the Spirit left Jerusalem and arrived here because God wanted you in his family and all of that was just for us to realize that the Jesus people here are part of something global and something that cannot be snuffed out or killed off that can't ever lose can't ever stop the worldwide church of God It's gone out and it's landed here. And if you're not a Christian listening and you're like, I just wish those Christians would just die off. Good luck. Because with 2,000 years and counting, nothing stops the church of Jesus. Now let's play a game. If you are Welsh and you're a Christian, on three after me, say glory to Jesus. One, two, three. That's Pentecost, that you're Welsh and you can worship God in this church in your own language and that he's found Welsh people and saved them. International Pentecost salvation. Now let's try this one. If you're not Welsh and you're a Christian, say loud and proud after three, glory to Jesus. One, two, three. Isn't it wonderful? This is why we're here. Because of this feast to say thank you Lord. I read a tweet yesterday and it said this. Two school teachers and a school receptionist got saved after our team did an assembly about Jesus. So there's three more somewhere today around here this morning saying glory to Jesus in the family. Because nothing stops the Lord God from reaching his people. Ladies and gentlemen on this day we remember we're a family. Not by blood, by something much more powerful, the waters of baptism because of Pentecost. 
And today we say, thank you, Lord, for finding me and saving me. For showing me that there's value in Jesus Christ and His life and death and resurrection and ascension for sinners. And if you feel alone, you're not. In the staff room tomorrow, or sometimes the teens share with me here, it's hard in school. We feel alone. And the temptation is to hide it. On this day we remember we're not alone. Nor shall we ever be. There are two billion Christians alive in the world at the moment. And for the very last chunk, other than giving thanks, I don't just want us to look within this morning. And my hope is that we start, because of this feast this morning, just take today to really think about others. Because this is what it's about. Um, somebody told you about the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's going to tell somebody else? It's us. It left there. It's arrived here. Who passes it on now? Us. And I wish for the next year that we would up our game looking out to reach other nations and peoples. Who will tell our neighbor about the saving message of Jesus? On Pentecost Sunday, we remind ourselves that it needs to be us. We get to be a part of that. My church planting friend wrote this. Over the decades, my experience has been this. The best way for a church family to find unity is mission and evangelism. Looking out. The best way for a church family to grow in maturity is mission and evangelism. Looking out. The best way for Christians to get to know the Bible is when they are driven by mission and evangelism, and looking out. The best way for a church family to get excited about prayer is mission and evangelism. And so this day, I'd like us to pray individually when we go home for direction, for burdens, for people who don't yet know Christ. Or a place, or a group of people, or an individual and then ask, how can our church reach these people that the Lord is giving me a heart for? Did you know, depending on who's counting, there are over 6,000 unreached people groups without a church witness at the moment. And today, I want us to start thinking about them. Did you know that one of my friends writes articles on the internet and he gets really sad because church is really rubbish at looking out to other people? And he says this, I've noticed that when I write articles about theological controversy, readers flock to my articles. If I engage with dissenting comments, readers go crazy. But when I write about the testimony of Christian missionaries in foreign contexts like Turkey, my readership drops significantly. It breaks my heart because it's a reminder that people love theological controversies, but not the nations. My other friend wrote this. In the summer of 2011, I traveled to Turkey. While there, I was burdened to see a fledgling church with so few workers. It's a slow work in Turkey. And there are challenges to working in a predominantly Muslim context. I couldn't help but grieve over seeing the church struggle. You and I can't not grieve when we understand the context and the text of the Great Commission. 
There are 70 million Turks and just a few thousand believers in Turkey. Yet, this is where we find the seven churches in the book of Revelation. This is where the first seven ecumenical councils of the church were held. This place, this formerly thriving center of Christianity, now only has a few thousand people who would claim the name of Jesus Christ. So let's pray today. I'm laboring the point I know. But pray this week, Lord, help us to look out. Let Park End not be a cul-de-sac off the Great Commission Highway. Lift our eyes up and out. And for those who are noticing that in this city the nations are coming to us, here's another prayer as we wrap these things up. I did some maths. That's never a good thing, so this is probably wrong. But the population of King Coy is 12,200 people. The population of Penelan is 13,500 people. The total population in the catchment of this church, therefore, is 25,700 people. Our Sunday morning population is probably 70. By my maths, we're reaching 0.27% of our local area for Jesus. And on the day of Pentecost, we need to look out and start thinking, huh, could we do better than that? Now, there's lots of meetings on in the life of Park End Church. You can join them because sharing the load and burdens helps reach more people. But more than that, let's get a heart for the lost in the world who need the Lord Jesus Christ more than ever. Let me read some verses as I close to why we should be sold out for reaching the nations with our resources, gifts, and talents. Listen to these verses. Here's Malachi chapter 1.11. Here we see a prophecy of the global presence of local churches offering praise to the name of the Lord. My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. And this morning we say, Lord, we want to see that. Let's reach people just here for now. Lord, we want to see your name be great among the nations. Here's another one. Haggai 2. This is the Pentecost message. I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill the house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Jesus is the desire of all the nations. We've got that message. So, if you go to Ireland or Iraq... Everyone you meet, the desire of that nation is Jesus. See, if you go to Ireland or Iraq, they're all asking questions, but they're all essentially the same questions. And the answer to their questions is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer to every question that the nations are asking. He fulfills the best desires of every nation. When you look for wisdom, truth, love, compassion, beauty, holiness, unity, forgiveness, healing, hope, or any other virtue, you find more than you dream in Jesus. I feel aimless. I feel lost. We got a message to help you. I feel like I need to carve out who I am in strange ways and form my own identity. Forget that. Jesus, He'll help you.
And I do close with this. Listen to where this global movement ends of which we are a part. Here's Revelation chapter 7. After this I looked and there was a multitude, a vast multitude of every nation, tribe, people and language which no one could number standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were robed in white with palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Glory to Jesus. In English, as you go home and eat bacon sandwiches. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.